Hey fellow nerds, I'm Megan Smiley and this is the Lawyer's Escape Pod. For those of you who've gotten into practice, looked around and thought, so this is my life? I get it. You're in deep and you feel stuck. You may have no idea what the next step would be, or maybe you have an idea, but think it's unrealistic. I truly believe that there's a path forward for each of us if we're intentional about finding it. And this podcast will be a great source of advice and inspiration for you to make that leap to a more fulfilling career. My guest today is Rachel Solomon, who is the founder and creative director at Honor Code Creative, a branding company that offers a full spectrum of creative design, copy, editorial, PR, and marketing services for her clients. Rachel started off in big law litigation, but realized after a few different positions that practicing law just was not the right fit. Uh, So she pursued her interests in writing and fashion, and that put her on a path from copywriter to PR strategist, and ultimately to company founder. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Megan. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I'm excited to uh, to hear about your story today because it's quite interesting. Um, but let's start at the very beginning. What what made you go to law school? I think what made me go to law school was really probably not atypical that my skills were worse. I was an English major and um, I had dreams of being a writer. I wasn't I wasn't really sure. And my parents, as parents do, said, you know, you better not put yourself in a position to count on someone else for your income. You better find something that's secure. And everyone wants to be a writer. That's like saying you want to be a rock star. So um, <laughs> so not to date myself, but that's when LA Law was on. We would watch it together as a family. And I was like... I love that show, by the way. So it dates, d- dates us both, but I love it. <laughs> and I want to know how many people do you think went to law school because of LA Law? Yeah, yeah. It was really so glamorous. And um, so I loved college. I loved my, I loved where I was. And so I got into law school at the same school. So it was just like, yeah, add on three more years. That seems like a smart decision. Right. So you went, you went straight from undergrad to law school. Exactly. I mean, like straight, like moved down the street. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. So, and how did you feel about law school once you were there? I mean, I actually loved law school itself. I thought, I mean, for me, it was, um, I, you know, all the horror stories that I had heard about it being competitive. I really didn't feel that at law school. Yeah. I thought it was, I mean, we were friendly. We, it was super social. I had gone to um, Penn, which undergrad is huge. And then the law school is small. So yeah. everyone I felt like was a really close knit group. We had so much fun. I mean, I think at the beginning I was really challenged by, I'm sure as everyone else is like learning this new language and, you know, go yeah. take like an hour to read a page. But once I got into it, I just thought law school was social and fun and, yeah. um, um, so I really enjoyed it and I enjoyed, and I, and like, I love words. So I loved reading and distinguishing cases, you know, um, that stuff was really just that meaty stuff was really interesting to me. So I yeah. had a law school experience. I mean, for people who were really kind of thought that that was super intense and super hard, I missed that point. And, and I just thought, oh, wow, this is great. And, you know, went blithely into, um, I bet everything about the law is going to be great and fun. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, having had, you know, a lot of these conversations, I totally agree. I just, I feel like there's such a difference between law school and the practice of law. <laughs> oh God, yeah, totally. Totally. And, you know, but, I'm an optimist. So, I mean, 
Yeah. So I was very like optimistic about the whole thing and just enjoying and looking at the bright sides of everything. And also when, when I went to law school, we didn't get really graded. We had like G good Q qualified and A excellent. Yeah. So that also a little helps. Yeah. yeah, I didn't. I didn't have that. I feel like that's like <laughs> that, that definitely takes a certain stress out of the the, the equation. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Although I thought, you know, there were some. Obviously, there were some people who were really intense about it, you know, and really super driven. Um, and and so I, I, you know, I but I paid that no heed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. Did you get, were you sort of drawn to a particular area when you were in law school or were you kind of just a generalist and figured I'll take whatever job comes along? I really thought that I was going to be like Arnie. I was going to be this divorce lawyer. I don't know how I got this in my head, but I thought, oh, that seems like so much fun. I love arguing. I love, um, and I had this idea that it would feel like I was giving back because I would represent women who had been in horrible, who were in horrible divorces. Um, mm. so for some reason that appealed to me, I may be the only person who, yeah, I, that's a new one. I haven't heard someone be like, I dreamed of being a divorce lawyer, <laughs> <laughs> was like avenging the rights of women, wrong women everywhere. Um, yeah. yeah. And so, and I loved my, um, all my classes like that. So, you know, I took family law practice. I loved the family law class that I took. Um, and I loved, um, contracts. So the, 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 the courses that would have been relevant for that practice, I really enjoyed too. So it seemed like that was the direction that I was going in. And after my first um, year, that first summer, I clerked for two judges in family law court too, whom both of whom Mm -hmm. I really loved and um, got to work on a lot of decisions. So I thought I was just headed straight for Arnie town, like by me (laughs) (laughs) and let me put my cape on and let me avenge women everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) So then what did you actually do? Uh, well, I actually did litigation. So um, general litigation. So I right. went um, after my second year summer, I went to a big firm in Boston. We had to do one corporate and one litigation um, tour during our summer practice. And mm-hmm. um, so I did do a little bit of family law, but I quickly realized that it that's where the pressure hit me, um, that things were really intense there and that you had to be broader in litigation to really ensure that you had a career track. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that's, so that led me to, um, to just straight litigation. And, you know, um, as you know, you're a generalist anyway, when you begin. Right. Right. Of course. Yeah. So how did you, how did you like litigation and being at a big firm? Oh my gosh, I hated it. Um, so, <laughs> first of all, yeah. summer experience. My summer experience was really bad. Um, like I think some people's summer experience is all being wined and dined, and they don't actually work. And for whatever yeah. reason, I worked really hard. Like I was sleeping under my desk. Um, yeah, it's cute. That is surprising, right? You're not supposed to be yes. doing that. I yeah. got hitched right away to this partner um, in my in my actually was during my business um tour where Mm -hmm. she um right away like it was the first day i don't know if she thought that this was like how she had been hazed so she was helpfully hazing me or what but um you know it was one of those things where i did something she liked and then i was hers for the whole summer and and it was very much like you know sleep on it was just exhausting it was nonstop. so that was it for the summer and 
So I didn't go back there. She tried to, you know, I got an offer and she was the one trying to convince me to go there. And I thought, oh my gosh, you have no idea that you made my life. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No idea whatsoever. Um, But I ended up choosing instead to go to a big national firm, but that had a smaller branch office in Boston. And I thought, oh, Mm -hmm. this will be a way to kind of get all the trappings that I enjoyed of a big firm, but have it be more low key. Ha ha ha. Um, right, right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I went there and, and started in their general litigation practice. And, um, yeah, it was like, you know, being on a team. I, I liked my, my sort of class of other lawyers, but it was, mm-hmm. like, you know, being in a windowless room, looking at, looking for a smoking gun on something, you know, that, um, for hours and hours and days and days. And, you know, I lived right around the corner and you'd like get a car to, take you home to shower and come back kind of thing yeah 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 it's just did you ever have experience because of course there is some level of work when you're a junior associate that's kind of mundane whether you're doing doc review or diligence and and of course like it's not you know sexy and super fun did you look forward to what sort of people ahead of you were doing were you thinking well that looks like there's a light at the end of the tunnel or not so much. Yeah. I mean, I think I really struggled only because I think the work looked interesting as far as light at the end of the tunnel, but you know, mm-hmm. I didn't look around and see any women who had a life that I would look at and say, I'm excited about having that life. Like I yeah. and saw no relief of pressure. Like it just kept going. And it seemed to me that people were either, you know, either that having a family was either your, there was so much, um, there was so, it was really hard to strike a balance that felt sane, you know? Yeah. And I looked at senior level women, even at the partnership level and found them still like really grinding and still, you know, mad, which I always take from, I always take to mean under pressure, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also think the women a generation ahead of us really had to fight to get where they were. And they really had to sort of, my aunt, I have two aunts who are partners, uh, you know, a generation ahead. Uh-huh. And, and they'll say, you know, we, there, there was no idea that you'd have a balance. You either got to be a partner and someone else raised your kids right. or you did, you weren't a partner. Nobody offered me that the option that I was going to have this balance. So I think for us, looking to that generation of women is complicated. (laughs) I think you're absolutely right. It was very complicated. And there wasn't that. And, you know, I think I said at the beginning, I'm kind of an optimist. And I don't have that really super competitive gene. I never have. Like, I don't have that. So I was surprised, which I maybe shouldn't have been. But for some reason, I thought that women would just take me under their wing and it would be like, this Disney movie. And that's <laughs> <laughs> not the story I feel like I hear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it always surprises me. I'm like, I always tell myself, Rachel, could you be a little more prepared for this? Like, <laughs> no. Yeah. So no, these women partners did not have the time or the inclination to like lift me up like a little birdie and start, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So that was, that was hard for me. I kind of felt like, oh, you know, so I didn't see anything as far as something that I wanted, maybe in, in the work, but not anything as far as something that I wanted in life. And that was really yeah. hard for me. Yeah. 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 So how did you start thinking about what your next step would be? How long were you at that first firm? I was at that first firm for, I want to say like two years. 
And, um, and what I started thinking was that maybe, um, again, ever the optimist, if mm-hmm. I went to a class action, there was a boutique class action firm that I heard was hiring. And I thought maybe if I went there, I would feel like sort of, you know, Aaron brockovich like I was doing some good in the world, but I was still making money, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And so um, they gave me an offer and I went there and I left there. And um, and that felt like now, and I was starting to feel like I had tried these different things. You know, I had tried a big right. firm. Now I had tried a, this branch, a smaller branch. And then now this was, okay, I'm going to try this tiny boutique class action firm where everything's going to be different. And I'm going to go back to that feeling of where I'm avenging the rights of someone. Right. Um, But you can guess that didn't quite work out that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it makes sense. You know, I think it's totally logical to say, look, I'm going to explore different routes of this job to see if it's just the venue that isn't matching what I need it to match, you know? Right. Especially when you've given so much of yourself, you know, um, when you've given so much of yourself to this career, you know, you had three years and yeah. time just, and it was, you know, and it was a lot and a lot of money and time and passing the bar and all that. I think it's not like today where you're quicker to make a move. So I wanted to feel like I was being thorough about the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so how long were you at the small boutique firm? I think I was there for one year. I mean, it was really quick that quick, quick that I realized that, you know, this was sort of the same thing, but different. This was like, you know, mm-hmm. there was no, this was sort of figuring out what a class, what might be a good class action and, you know, sort of throwing suits against the wall to see what sticks. And, yeah. um, and the same exact pressures and the same exact sort of, um, you know, attitudes that I'd experienced everywhere else. And, and it was interesting in both. Um, so in this class action firm where I was, they gave me, and it was true at the other firm too, they gave me like these small litigation jobs that were for, uh, that had a personal tie to get me some more experience. So I wasn't just like slogging away, writing briefs or slogging away, looking for yeah. smoking guns. And so they gave me this class action on um, this, sorry, this um, personal lawsuit to defend. And I was, I had to take a deposition and the partner was listening to me take the deposition and said, you know, right. And, and I was sort of being really tough in there. And he said something to me like, you know, wow, you really, you know, you really handled that well. You were really tough. And I said, thank you. And I literally like raced to the bathroom and burst into tears because it was just oh. like, <laughs> my personality. Like, except, yeah. and I was completely hiding who I really was, you know? So I would present, I would like get these reviews and I would laugh because they would say like, Rachel's the most, you know, I still say it for them because I thought it was so funny, like has the most potential as a natural litigator. And I thought, yeah. oh my God, what a farce. Nope. <laughs> as a natural litigator, like I can just put it on for an hour before I, you know, am a total wreck. It just didn't yeah. work with my personality. Yeah. I think that's so interesting because I, I, I had a similar experience in that, that I don't know if I was putting it on, Mm -hmm. but I do think the idea that like, just because I can be good at this doesn't mean it, it resonates with me. It doesn't mean I like it. It doesn't mean I want to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. And sort of not, not being bowled over by the fact that everyone's telling you this is, oh, you, this is where you should be. It's like, but but my, but my heart and my brain are telling me this is not where I should be. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's really interesting too, because usually 
people leave because it blows up. You know, like there was someone in my class who was taking the bar for the fifth time. Like that's, you know, like you don't, something, it blows up, something's wrong, you know? And I think it's harder when it's something like us where you're doing it, you know, for, for you, maybe it was just that you were, you weren't like me, like sort of pretending, but where you're doing it and you can do it well, you can, I, I could have done this my whole life conceivably, you know, but, yeah. um, I just looked at it and thought, yeah, I could do this my whole life, but I better get out because it wouldn't be a happy life for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what, you know, I think one of the hardest things is, okay, it, it's hard to say you're going to leave the law, but it's also hard for a lot of us to know where we would go after that. So how did yeah. you think about what the alternative was for yeah. you? Um, well, I still look back on this and it's kind of interesting. I mean, I am such a feminist and, but I will say it helped that I was married. I was a, now, now I'm in my second marriage. That was my, at the time of my first marriage. And I have to say, it's hard for me as a feminist to look back and think it was very helpful to have a second income and have a husband help me leave the law, you know? Well, that's just the practicality. It just is. (laughs) And it helped me because I didn't have loans. Like I look at people who have tons of loans or a single income and it would have been a lot harder. So I just don't want to, I want to full disclosure, as we said, Uh, I'm I'm like superhero brave. Um, But yeah, I think that I looked at it like by the time I was ready to leave, there was no, it wasn't even a decision to make. I got to the point where I was like, I cannot take another week of this. You know, like I, right. it was just so, it was such a divide with my personality. I, uh, I was like Holly Hunter in that news movie, like going to cry behind Ian McEnbold. Oh, do you know that they filmed part of that two dollars down for me on Capitol Hill? I, I remember. Yes. Yeah. I watched that getting so filmed. That's so funny. I so related to her. Like people look at that scene and are like, ha ha, that's so funny and crazy. And I'm like, oh, it? Um, yeah, totally bawling behind EMAX. Um, yeah. yeah. And I just felt like, you know, and, and my first husband was and is a super solid person and super logical. And he was like, we're going to be okay. And I think yeah. just super, that just really helped me. But um, yeah, I had... I had tried all these different things. So I felt really certain about that. And I had, and I was starting to write and I was starting to get some traction as a writer. Um, I had um, pitched a story to in style and they, and she called me and uh, um, so I was going to get a byline in in style magazine, which what was, what was the ar- article that you wrote? For them? It was about um, actually I pitched her something that she did not want to use, but she liked my writing and gave me the story, gave me a story to write. Ah, it was, interesting. Yeah. It was about the company fresh, which um, is a beauty brand that it took yeah. in Boston and then took off. Um, but just the idea that like, it was like the same day as I was filing some, you know, billion dollar brief. And I, and all I could think of was I'm going to be published in style. <laughs> yeah. You know, that shows you a lot. Yeah. Um, and I, how did you, how did you even think to, submit something i mean because i can imagine being like oh you know in style is kind of a big deal like yeah. how am i gonna you know it was just like a natural flow for me i mean i think i was very brave when it came to that stuff maybe in part because you know i was i had been so brave about quitting this law firm i the first firm which was just such a prestigious firm and i quit you know i was starting to get some traction about around just be brave try things what the hell life's not going to end just because i don't do everything that in the same way as whoever else is doing it. And I right. in a part that made me really brave. And I had started to do some marketing and writing in the firm because I had started to say, 
you know, because I was so kind of bored. I had started to say yeah. um, to the employment lawyer, why don't you do a story on um, drug testing? And and to the head partner in, the, in employment, and she said, you know, oh, I don't have time. That's cool, but I don't have time. And I'm like, yeah. I'll research it, write it for you, put your byline on it for you, and pitch it for you, you know? Oh, wow. So I had started to get kind of yeah. brave about these things. And yeah, so InStyle was something that I read and I loved, and I just thought, you know, I'm going to do it. So, um, so that was huge. And I was, and then that was one, and I was starting to get more and more traction, these bylines. And I was starting to see how writing could add up to a career. And then also in my previous, um, job at the big national firm, I had this relationship with my assistant and she had said, you always talk about writing a novel, start dictating into your dictaphone and I'll type it for you. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> I started writing a novel. And, and I started to get some interest in it. Like I got an agent who was interested in representing this novel. So all of these little things kind of yeah. added up to where I thought if I can get this much traction while I'm practicing, if I quit, right. I can make something here. Yeah. Yeah. So you quit. So I quit. Yeah. <laughs> so I quit. And oh my gosh, I remember so vividly, like the sweet freedom, like your body had never told me so loudly that I was doing the right thing, you know? Oh, that's so great. Oh. Quitting is great. <laughs> great. I'm a big fan. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> Quitting gets a bad rap. Quitting is like totally brave and empowering, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. It was huge. I remember I quit right around the holiday time. And I had given my two weeks notice and I was just like out one day gift shopping in the middle of the day. And oh! <laughs> I know. Yeah. And, and again, you know, like we all have to, we all have to support ourselves and everything. And it's not as if you just jump with, with, you know, no idea of where you're going, but right. when you're in the wrong thing yeah. and you get out of it, yep. there is a weight that comes off of you. That's hard to describe. Absolutely. Oh my God. Yeah. The lightness. It was like something that, you know, I had only heard people talk about, you know, but the, yeah. lightness, the sheer sort of like a, a real physical, like, um, lightening of the burden. It was from the second I did it, I felt it. Yeah. You know? So then you just, you just jumped sort of full force into the writing freelancing? I jumped into the writing and I was, and it was very isolating. And that was the hardest part for me was I just felt very alone in it. And um, so, but I jumped into that and then I started this progression of different careers paths, trying to figure out what I wished I would have done before law school, which was how can I make a living out of something related to storytelling? And so I kind of started all these things at once. So I finished the novel and um, that ended up getting published, which was great. And I kept... What was the novel called? It's called Number Six Fumbles. All right. What's it about? I'm just curious. It's a a coming of age story that takes place at Penn, where I went to school. And Mm -hmm. um, it takes place over just a week where this protagonist is kind of feeling like she's falling apart. And it's that week in her life. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I'm always impressed because I feel like there's this, there's a common correlation between people who are good writers and lawyers. I am not in that category. And so I'm, I know I'm a terrible writer, especially, (laughs) I mean, I can put together, you know, legal writing, I guess, but it certainly does not, does not extend to creative writing in any kind of way. And so I'm still impressed with people who could 
write a novel. I just, I could never. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Um, well, that's funny. I mean, I remember in law school, any class with a paper was my class. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I'm like, test, test, test. <laughs> yeah, not so much. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, the class is always greener. I know I envy people like you. But, um, but yeah, it turns out the storytelling piece, which it can carry you pretty far. I mean, I found a lot of ways to use it. I started um, writing copy for a legal publishing house was my first job. And that was the hardest. That was like the ripping off the Band-Aid job, like going from my beautiful office with my beautiful view and my assistant to this job had, it was like, I think it was $8 an hour. It had no benefits. It was like (laughs) sitting in a corner of a room. Um, And so, you know, but thank goodness I did it when I was relatively young and ripped that Band-Aid off and started a path to something that, you know, was more, felt more authentic to me. Yeah. You know? I think that's so important too, is that, you know, there's, there's going to be a ripping the bandaid off element to it. Yeah. And in five years, wouldn't you like to look back and know that you did that five years ago rather than, Oh, yeah. I've been sitting around being miserable and I still need to pull this bandaid off and I'm yep. older and, you know, hundred percent. yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. <laughs> bandaid rip only gets harder and harder when there's more and more at stake. You know, you wait till you, you know, then you have children, you know, then you have, you know, just, it, that's right. The longer you're in it, the more you're being paid in your law job. So it's, yeah, earlier rather yeah, than later. It, yeah, yeah, that would, that, you know, cause I, I left four years into practicing, but I was single and it was mm-hmm. just, you know, easier than, you know, once you're, you're more years in with a yeah. family, it just gets complicated. That's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> so, and so how did it evolve from there? So, um, I did that for, you know, not, not super long because, you know, you quickly grow out of something like that. And, um, but I did that and it gave me a taste of what it was like in copy world. And I went from there to a publishing house where I was, um, editing all these healthcare publications. And so I got a taste of that and I ended up sort of non-intentionally, I was really just kind of, I mean, at the time it felt like I was blindly bopping around, but as it turns out, I built a real, a good, um, I ended up getting a lot of good experience through this bopping around period. And then I went into, I, I met someone through a women's networking organization and went into PR and I didn't even know what PR was. Like I literally thought, I just saw the word communications in her title and I thought that has to do with words, met with her. Yeah. And like two days later, I was at a PR firm. Um, that's so crazy. So what, what, what caused you to be involved with this women's networking event? I, I think that's interesting because you gloss over it, but it sounds like the decision to put yourself out there really was important in shifting your yeah. career path. And you're right. I shouldn't gloss over it because this the yeah. networking is a large part of, um, something that I, it turns out I'm good at, like, I would have never told you that I'm good at networking, but I am only because I like to meet and chat with people. So if you yeah. think of it as networking, then I'm not, and I wouldn't, and I don't like to go to these networking quote unquote events, but I like mm-hmm. to help people. So I always like to meet with people and say, what can I do for you? How can I help you? I'm much more comfortable with that. And then I always think karma works. It's magic and people help, just help you back. Yeah. Um, and this was something where, um, yeah, it was, I had, someone had talked me into going to one of these networking things that I didn't really want to go to. But what I liked was that after it, they gave me a huge contact list with everyone's title, role, and and um, 
where they were and what they did. And so I was able to look through it and I contacted any person who sounded like they were in some career that had to do with writing and just asked them if I could take them to coffee and ask, ask them questions. And that's how that happened. Um, yeah. And I, that's great. I mean, I just, I think that this is how things happen. You have to, things don't just fall in your lap because you're sitting at home wishing for them. Like you, you know, you have to really put yourself out there to have those kind of karmic events happen to you. I 100% agree. And, and in a way that feels easy and authentic to you. And for me that going on yes. one-on-one coffees and saying, what do you do? Was an easy enough thing for me to do. And, right. you know, thank goodness that I had no PR experience, but I really, um, I really give credit to this agency that was, is run by two women and that, um, to see that, yeah, you don't have this exact bucket of experience. I feel like my whole career has relied on meeting those kinds of people who say you have this different path, but I can see why that's very valuable to us. Um, yeah. And I've lucked out in finding people who did that. And so I stayed there for about eight years, carving out my own roles, um, roles that had never, there were never openings and they never had them before. Um, just by kind of describing each year in my review, this is where I think I'm adding value. This is what I think my title should be. Um, this is what I want to do more of. And, um, just through that building, building a, a path there that I ended up being creative director was my last role there. Um, I mean, that's an incredible opportunity to have that much autonomy to direct yourself. I mean, it, it speaks to, to, you know, the people who run the company and the environment. And I just think it's so important. Like, of course, it's important what you're doing, but it's so important what environment you're doing it in about whether you're going to be successful and enjoy it. No, it's really true. They were really smart, you know, too, because I think that, um, I think that, um, and then I was writing about this recently, you know, I had to make the case each, I, they saw where the value was. So I knew I was doing things of value. And I knew that even if I decided that I didn't want to do these sort of mundane elements of being an account person, there was still enough value there to make an argument for why I could stay there without doing these other things. And so it really showed me a valuable lesson, which was, um, you know, standing up for myself and what felt right and measuring where I could bring value to the table and that if you can bring value to the table, you're always, you don't have to stay stuck in, in the, with the elements that you don't want to be stuck with. I thought that was a really, that was a really important thing to learn there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. No, I really, um, I really lucked out. And when I left there, I had a child, um, whom I had adopted with my first husband, but we had split up. So now I left there and I went through probably some of what was, what I might've gone through when I left the law, which was, I really felt like I wanted to make a change. I wanted something I was more passionate about in terms of the vertical. I was very passionate about fashion. I was thinking about fashion all the time. And now I was a single mother and I needed to, I wanted to get somehow break into fashion. Um, and I was in Boston and I couldn't move to New York. I didn't want to separate my son from his dad. Um, right. so that's how I ultimately found smart bargains, which was the closest thing to a fashion offering in Boston and was part of the dot-com, um, world. And that was a really, that was a world that I hadn't explored and was super interesting for me. So I jumped right into that. And what kind of role did you have there? So there I went, I was like a copy. I think I was a I think I started as copywriter at smart bargain. So it was like a going down back down the totem pole and, 
that's another thing too. You have to be, I've never been that person who cares super much about titles. And I think, I mean, if you care about that, you'd still be a, you'd be a partner in a law firm. <laughs> I mean, you know, right. <laughs> yeah. you know, so you kind of have to be willing, I think, as you change careers and learn to just kind of not care about that and be brave. Um, it was challenging because the hours are crazy. I had to race to daycare to pick up my child, um, you know, dating. Um, and on top of all of that, like I'm the oldest person yeah. in dot com world, you know, Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I really lucked out and I very much bonded with the CEO there. And then he launched Rulala. And um, so I was the first creative to to be hired for Rulala. He brought me over. To, yeah. yeah. So that was wow. an amazing opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. That is mm-hmm. pretty. I mean, we all knew Rulala. Yeah. I will yeah. say, though, you know, when I was telling this to my dad about Rulala when it was first being born, and it was really the first, there were no flash sales. And my dad, who was also a lawyer, said, Honey, um, I don't think that this sign in to shop is going to work. And I think we should pay for bar dues. <laughs> you know, <You're, laughs> you know, go back to that right. firm. They'll still have you, honey, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and this, this is like a decade later yeah. at least right? oh yeah <laughs> like hey my bar dues oh my gosh i think i'd have to sell my condo i know i know i i, I keep up my massachusetts license inactive because it's like such a you know low bar but it's like i don't really know why i bother <laughs> oh my gosh i know i never paid a thing i never kept up a thing like i burned the bridges you know yeah so you were just sure you're oh, like yeah. I am. oh yeah. yeah that's it done and done yeah yeah nice. yeah um but so after that so you've moved on to your own thing yeah, at the end yeah. Of the i've done a you know i had a, a really cool trajectory in kind of fashion and consumer brands after that and making my way through several different ones and then eventually yes i started about two years ago i started honor code creative and I took kind of everything that I had wished for being inside these interesting brands. Um, we worked with, we brought in a lot of ad agencies. And, um, and I always wondered why things with these agencies couldn't be better, why there was not more collaboration, why they were so um, siloed and off in their own world. And then they would just come present something. And if you didn't like it, they would kind of act like you were dumb. <laughs> and, um, I thought, you know, this can be so much better. The quality of work from an agency can, we can still have that outside perspective that's sort of fresh and new, but we can also be more collaborative and, um, and, you know, a brand DNA doesn't need to cost $500,000 and take six months to complete, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. I mean, I think a lot of people are intimidated by that kind of service because it just feels like it's, well, that's just for like Fortune 500 companies. Totally. totally. And yet so many people need it. That's like the linchpin of a brand is, you know, having that backbone of DNA because otherwise you spin around every decision that follows. You know, you don't know, Mm -hmm. you have nothing to tie it to. And so you're like, oh, this logo is cute. This one's not, you know, every decision becomes a nightmare. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So so launched Honor Code Creative, and I shortly um, thereafter got a partner who I had worked with also at Rulala. She was a project manager. So together, we are like right brain, left brain, and we've now been doing it for a couple of years with sort of a roster of both big clients, like on the big Ballard side would be like Sperry, um, mm-hmm. and we've done work for Talbots and Converse, 
And then also just super amazing, smaller clients like um, Spice, which is a robotic food company founded by two MIT guys, um, mm. is one that we love. Um, we love, we've done some work for Ministry of Supply, worked on their voice and brand, um, come in and do holiday concepting. Um, and so it's kind of taking the all of everything that I've done and putting it together in a way that feels right. And that, that name honor code creative was something that I really, um, did with intention to kind of reflect what I, what I like to be, which is straightforward and optimistic and a person who just tells the truth and no BS. Yeah. 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 that's so exciting i i always get hyped when i hear people doing like really their own thing it just i find that very inspiring to hear really inspiring Um, you know so i had one particular thing i wanted to also ask you about you had mentioned uh, offline that um one of your recommendations would be a coach and that you had a particular coach. And I think that, that um, this isn't something I've gotten into specifically on the podcast yet, but I do want to speak with coaches because I think that it's, it's a resource that maybe lawyers don't think of as being a resource. Um, So I'd love to hear sort of what your experience was of that and, you know, how it worked for you. Sure. So, um, while I was at Rue La La, one of the things that I had to do was to creatively launch Rue Living. Um, and so I worked with the, um, someone at the time who was a consultant and her name's Sally Marr. And she was sort of on the merchant um, side and I was her creative partner. And together we were launching Rue Living. And we mm-hmm. um, really developed a great relationship and um, we worked so well together. And um, she is more, was more, more seasoned than I, but she just really appreciated creative. And so we totally bonded. And she has since become a um, certified coach. And, um, and she does work for a lot of different um, brands, especially in the same kind of space, especially in off-price um, um, sales. And mm-hmm. but she's just in general, a really clarifying coach. Just she's accessible. She's smart. She gets it. Um, and so we started doing some coaching together for our honor code clients. So sometimes I would get a client that would come to me and right in the proposal phase, I could see that they were freaking out. You know, they didn't know what thing to do first. It's an investment. They got confused. And I have no interest in pressuring them to start with anything. So instead, I would just say, stop everything. Let me, let's do this coaching session. And so Sally and I would together coach these clients and help them figure out. Oftentimes they figured out that they don't want to do their business. And that's fine too. That's just as good of a right. Or they get clarity around what they need to do first and how they need to prioritize. Um, and I wish that I had had Sally when I was looking at this decision about, you know, law school or leaving the law or my path, because she is so clarifying. And I still go to her now with different challenges that I have as part of within Honor Code. She helps me. It's She has a really super um, clear approach and she helps me see things in a different way. Um, and I find it just invaluable. Whenever I can get around her, uh, I, wanted, I want to. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's great. And I think that sometimes people do feel very isolated being like, I don't know how to take the next step. I don't know even how to start making this decision. And, you know, there there are a wide range of, you know, you can, of course, talk to people and you can listen to this podcast. And but I do think that if you want to really invest in it, there 
there is this option to to find someone that you resonate with that can really help, like you said, just clarify what it is that you're trying to do. Absolutely. Unblock you and give you that fresh perspective. I mean, I think we're all burdened by family members and all these people who have some skin in the game and right. expectations and just getting the clarity of an outside perspective. It's, it's mind blowing what that can do. Um, yeah. you know, and, and I think the other thing that I always thought about throughout this whole process was this idea of, I do three things a day and I still always go back to this, um, which is instead when you get overwhelmed by that and you just think, oh my gosh, I can't deal with it. I can't deal with it. I always think I'm going to do three things a day to advance me to the next step. So your three things might be setting up a coaching session, having coffee with someone and asking them a question, um, reading about a role, you know, just they can be tiny, but somehow right. if I, if I do that, it makes the whole thing seem less like big, overwhelming. I still do that when I have big decisions to make. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's great advice. Cause I do think people just get paralyzed and do literally nothing yeah, <laughs> and just breaking that can really be helpful. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. So any other sort of final pieces of advice for anyone thinking about making a jump? I think that I would say, um, you know, that you have to have, I mean, this is sort of the basis of honor code, but I, I think that's not an accident that you have to have a sameness between, um, what you're doing and who you are, you know, they can't be divided. Yeah. Right. And so I think that the, yeah. the real unhappiness and the anxiety comes when there's a divide between your, who you naturally are as a person and the thing that you're doing every day. And, um, so I think that the more that you're that, you know, and maybe it's one of your three things, the more that you can just take your temperature, think about when you're genuinely feel happy and relaxed. Anxiety does not have to be part of, you know, I always thought like, oh, you're, it's anxiety is part of working. No, it does not. (laughs) You know, and so I would say, take your temperature, feel what you're feeling in your, with your body. My body would tell me that I was, that I shouldn't be in the law. Um, right look for those signs, become a good reader of your own happiness. That's step one. Yeah. 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 I think that's great advice. Just really sort of, you know, getting real with yourself. (laughs) It sounds obvious. Like, what do I like? What don't I like? But it isn't so obvious all the time. It's not, but that's fundamental to your next step. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, tell us where we can find you. Oh, on the interwebs. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm on Instagram at Honor Code Creative. Um, and you can check out my website, um, which is also honorcodecreative.com. Um, I think those are the two big places where you can see work and how we're thinking and how we're building this business. And I would love to interact with people. And I would love to, as always, I'm happy to help. So for people who are um, in the New England area, and I go to New York a lot, I'm totally open. Just reach out to me um, to have coffee and talk because I've been there. And I feel like um, Madeline Albright said there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. And I extend that to friends who are, you know, women allies, too. I believe her yeah. in that. So. Uh, well, that's very generous. That is that is a very generous offer. My pleasure. So. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time. I think this has been a really, uh, a really interesting conversation. I think it's going to 
spark something for a lot of people. I'm so glad. And yeah, yeah there's there's life and there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's <laughs> going to be okay. And I'm so glad yeah. that you're doing this. I think you're offering something really important. Um, so I'm glad this is out there, Meg. I think Rachel has so many important messages to lawyers thinking about leaving practice, but I wanted to focus on one point that she made a few different ways, and that is what you do for work and who you are as a person need to be aligned. And I don't think that means everyone needs to be aiming to go save the world or anything. It's just asking yourself whether you feel like yourself at work, your best self, and whether you're leaning into your strengths versus muscling through each day. She mentioned that she regularly found herself going to the bathroom and crying. And I know for a fact that she isn't alone in that. When I quit my firm, the associate manager said she was surprised it was me leaving because I was actually the only woman associate who hadn't been to her office crying at some point, which is crazy. (laughs) You know, so maybe your stress comes out in crying or maybe your misalignment comes out in the form of anxiety or depression. I think because so many of us go straight from college to law school to firm jobs, we don't have much to compare this world to. But your job should not be routinely making you sad or sick, which sounds obvious (laughs) when you say it like that. But I, I think it's something we don't always have the perspective to see.